Chapter Nine, Part A of Aaron's Rod by D. H. Lawrence. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine, Part A. Low Water Mark. Canny went away to Norway to visit her people for the first time for three years. Lily did not go. He did not want to. He came to London and settled in a room over Covent Garden Market. The room was high up, a fair size, and stood at the corner of one of the streets and the market itself, looking down on the stalls and the carts and the arcade. Lily would climb out of the window and sit for hours watching the behavior of the great draught-horses which brought the mountains of boxes and vegetables. Funny half-human creatures they seemed, so massive and fleshy, yet so cockney. There was one which could not bear donkeys and which used to stretch out its great teeth like some massive serpent after every poor diminutive ass that came with a coster's barrow. Another great horse could not endure standing. It would shake itself and give little starts and back into the heaps of carrots and broccoli, whilst the driver went into a frenzy of rage. There was always something to watch. One minute it was two great loads of empty crates, which in passing had got entangled, and reeled, leaning to fall disastrously. Then the drivers cursed and swore and dismounted and stared at their jeopardized loads, till a thin fellow was persuaded to scramble up the airy mountains of cages like a monkey, and he actually managed to put them to rights. Great sigh of relief when the vans rocked out of the market. Again there was a particular page-boy in buttons with a round and perky behind who nimbly carried a tea-tray from somewhere to somewhere under the arches beside the market. The great brawny porters would tease him, and he would stop to give them cheek. One afternoon a giant lunged after him. The boy darted gracefully among the heaps of vegetables, still bearing aloft his tea-tray, like some young blue-buttoned acolyte fleeing before a false god. The giant rolled after him, when, alas, the acolyte of the tea-tray slipped among the vegetables, and down came the tray. Then tears and a roar of unfeeling mirth from the giants. Lily felt they were going to make it up to him. Another afternoon a young swell sauntered persistently among the vegetables, and Lily, seated in his high little balcony, wondered why. But at last a taxi and a very expensive female, in a sort of silver brocade gown, and a great fur shawl and ospreys in her bonnet, evidently an assignation. Yet what could be more conspicuous than this elegant pair, picking their way through the cabbage-leaves. And then one cold gray afternoon in early April, a man in a black overcoat and a bowler hat, walking uncertainly. Lily had risen, and was just retiring out of the chill, damp air. For some reason he lingered to watch the figure. The man was walking east. He stepped rather insecurely off the pavement, and wavered across the sets between the wheels of the standing vans, and suddenly he went down. Lily could not see him on the ground, but he saw some van-men go forward, and he saw one of them pick up the man's hat. "'I'd better go down,' said Lily to himself. So he began running down the four long flights of stone stairs, past the many doors of the multifarious business premises, and out into the market. A little crowd had gathered, and a large policeman was just rowing into the centre of the interest. Lily, always a hoverer on the edge of public commotions, hung now hesitating on the outskirts of the crowd. "'What is it?' he said to a rather sniffy messenger-boy. "'Drunk,' said the messenger-boy, except that in unblushing cockney he pronounced it drank. Lily hung further back on the edge of the little crowd. "'Come on here. Where'd you want to go?' he heard the hearty tones of the policeman. 
"'I'm all right. I'm all right,' came the testy, drunken answer. "'All right, are ya? All right, and then some. Come on, get on your pins.' "'I'm all right. I'm all right.' The voice made Lily peer between the people, and sitting on the granite sets, being hauled up by a burly policeman, he saw our acquaintance Aaron, very pale in the face, and a little dishevelled. "'Like me to tuck the sheets round you, shouldn't you? Fancy yourself snug in bed, don't you? You won't believe you're right in the way of traffic, will you, now, in Covent Garden Market? Come on, we'll see to you.' And the policeman hoisted the bitter and unwilling Aaron. Lily was quickly at the centre of the affair, unobtrusive like a shadow, different from the other people. "'Help him up to my room, will you?' he said to the constable. "'Friend of mine.' The large constable looked down on the bareheaded, wispy, unobtrusive Lily with good-humoured suspicion and incredulity. Lily could not have borne it if the policeman had uttered any of this cockney suspicion, so he watched him. There was a great gulf between the public official and the odd, quiet little individual, yet Lily had his way. "'Which room?' said the policeman, dubious. Lily pointed quickly around. Then he said to Aaron, "'Were you coming to see me, Sisson? You'll come in, won't you?' Aaron nodded rather stupidly and testily. His eyes looked angry. Somebody stuck his hat on his head for him and made him look a fool. Lily took it off again and carried it for him. He turned, and the crowd eased. He watched Aaron sharply and saw that it was with difficulty he could walk. So he caught him by the arm on the other side from the policeman, and they crossed the road to the pavement. "'Not so much of this sort of thing these days,' said the policeman. "'Not so much opportunity,' said Lily. "'More than there was, though, coming back to the old days, like, working round bit by bit.' They had arrived at the stairs. Aaron stumbled up. "'Steady now, steady does it,' said the policeman, steering his charge. There was a curious breach of distance between Lily and the constable. At last Lily opened his own door. The room was pleasant. The fire burned warm, the piano stood open, the sofa was untidy, with cushions and papers. Books and papers covered the big writing-desk. Beyond the screen made by the bookshelves and the piano were two beds, with washstand by one of the large windows, the one through which Lily had climbed. The policeman looked around curiously. "'More cosy here than in the lock-up, sir,' he said. Lily laughed. He was hastily clearing the sofa. "'Sit on the sofa, Sisson,' he said. The policeman lowered his charge, with a, "'Right we are, then.' Lily felt in his pocket and gave the policeman half a crown, but he was watching Aaron, who sat stupidly on the sofa, very pale and semi-conscious. "'Do you feel ill, Sisson?' he said sharply. Aaron looked back at him with heavy eyes and shook his head slightly. "'I believe you are,' said Lily, taking his hand. "'Might be a bit of this flu, you know,' said the policeman. "'Yes,' said Lily. "'Where is there a doctor?' he added, on reflection. "'The nearest?' said the policeman, and he told him. "'Leave a message for you, sir?' Lily wrote his address on a card, then changed his mind. "'No, I'll run round myself, if necessary,' he said, and the policeman departed. "'You'll go to bed, won't you?' said Lily to Aaron, when the door was shut. Aaron shook his head sulkily. "'I would, if I were you. You can stay here till you're all right. I'm alone, so it doesn't matter.' But Aaron had relapsed into semi-consciousness. Lily put the big kettle on the gas stove, the little kettle on the fire. Then he hovered in front of the stupefied man. He felt uneasy. Again he took Aaron's hand and felt the pulse. "'I'm sure you aren't well. You must go to bed,' he said. And he kneeled and unfashioned his visitor's boots. Meanwhile the kettle began to boil. 
He put a hot water bottle into the bed. "'Let us get your overcoat off,' he said to the stupefied man. "'Come along.' And with coaxing and pulling and pushing, he got off the overcoat and coat and waistcoat. At last Aaron was undressed and in bed. Lily brought him tea. With a dim kind of obedience he took the cup and would drink. He looked at Lily with heavy eyes. "'I gave in. I gave in to her. Else I should have been all right,' he said. "'To whom?' said Lily. "'I gave in to her, and afterwards I cried, thinking of Lottie and the children. I felt my heart break, you know, and that's what did it. I should have been all right if I hadn't given in to her.' "'To whom?' said Lily. "'Josephine. I felt the minute I was loving her I'd done myself. And I had. Everything came back on me. If I hadn't given in to her, I should have kept all right. Don't bother now. Get warm and still. I felt it. I felt it go inside me the minute I gave in to her. It's perhaps killed me. No, not it. Never mind. Be still. Be still, and you'll be all right in the morning. It's my own fault for giving in to her. If I'd kept myself back, my liver wouldn't have broken inside me, and I shouldn't have been sick. And I knew— Never mind now. Have you drunk your tea? Lie down. Lie down and go to sleep." Lily pushed Aaron down in the bed and covered him over. Then he thrust his hands under the bedclothes and felt his feet still cold. He arranged the water-bottle. Then he put another cover on the bed. Aaron lay still, rather grey and peaked-looking, in a stillness that was not healthy. For some time Lily went about stealthily, glancing at his patient from time to time. Then he sat down to read. He was roused after a time by a moaning of troubled breathing and a fretful stirring in the bed. He went across. Aaron's eyes were open and dark-looking. "'Have a little hot milk,' said Lily. Aaron shook his head faintly, not noticing. "'A little bovril?' The same faint shake. Then Lily wrote a note for the doctor, went into the office on the same landing, and got a clerk, who would be leaving in a few minutes, to call with the note. When he came back he found Aaron still watching. "'Are you here by yourself?' asked the sick man. Yes, my wife's gone to Norway. For good? No, laughed Lily, for a couple of months or so. She'll come back here, unless she joins me in Switzerland or somewhere. Aaron was still for a while. You've not gone with her, he said at length. To see her people? No, I don't think they want me very badly, and I didn't want very badly to go. Why should I? It's better for married people to be separated sometimes. I said Aaron watching the other man with fever-darkened eyes. "'I hate married people who are two in one, stuck together like two jujube lozenges,' said Lily. "'Me and all. I hate em myself,' said Aaron. "'Everybody ought to stand by themselves, in the first place. Men and women as well. They can come together, in the second place, if they like, but nothing is any good unless each one stands alone, intrinsically.' "'I'm with you there,' said Aaron. "'If I'd kept myself to myself, I shouldn't be bad now.' though I'm not very bad. As'll be all right in the morning. But I did myself in when I went with another woman. I felt myself go, as if the bile broke inside me, and I was sick." "'Josephine seduced you?' laughed Lily. "'Aye, right enough,' replied Aaron grimly. "'She won't be coming here, will she?' "'Not unless I ask her.' "'You won't ask her, though?' "'No, not if you don't want her.' "'I don't.' The fever made Aaron naive and communicative, unlike himself, and he knew he was being unlike himself. He knew that he was not in proper control of himself. So he was unhappy, uneasy. "'I'll stop here the night, then, if you don't mind,' he said. 
"'You'll have to,' said Lily. "'I've sent for the doctor. I believe you've got the flu.' "'Think I have,' said Aaron, frightened. "'Don't be scared,' laughed Lily. There was a long pause. Lily stood at the window looking at the darkening market, beneath the street lamps. "'As I'll have to go to the hospital if I have,' came Aaron's voice. "'No, if it's only going to be a week or a fortnight's business, you can stop here. I've nothing to do,' said Lily. "'There's no occasion for you to saddle yourself with me,' said Aaron dejectedly. "'You can go to your hospital if you like, or back to your lodging, if you wish to,' said Lily. "'You can make up your mind when you see how you are in the morning.' "'No use going back to my lodgings,' said Aaron. "'I'll send a telegram to your wife, if you'd like,' said Lily. Aaron was silent, dead silent, for some time. "'Nay,' he said at length in a decided voice, "'not if I die for it.' Lily remained still, and the other man lapsed into a sort of semi-sleep, motionless and abandoned. The darkness had fallen over London, and away below the lamps were white. Lily lit the green-shaded reading lamp over the desk. Then he stood and looked at Aaron, who lay still, looking sick. Rather beautiful the bones of the countenance, but the skull too small for such a heavy jaw and rather coarse mouth. Aaron half opened his eyes, and writhed feverishly, as if his limbs could not be in the right place. Lily mended the fire and sat down to write. Then he got up and went downstairs to unfasten the street door, so that the doctor could walk up. The business people had gone from their various holes. All the lower part of the tall house was in darkness. Lily waited and waited. He boiled an egg and made himself toast. Aaron said he might eat the same. Lily cooked another egg and took it to the sick man. Aaron looked at it and pushed it away with nausea. He would have some tea. So Lily gave him tea. "'Not much fun for you doing this for somebody who is nothing to you,' said Aaron. "'I shouldn't if you were unsympathetic to me,' said Lily. "'As it is, it's happened so, and so will let be. "'What time is it?' "'Nearly eight o'clock.' "'Oh, my lord, the opera!' And Aaron got half out of bed. But as he sat on the bedside he knew he could not safely get to his feet. He remained a picture of dejection. "'Perhaps we ought to let them know,' said Lily. But Aaron, blank with stupid misery, sat huddled there on the bedside without answering. "'I'll run round with a note,' said Lily. "'I suppose others have had flu besides you. Lie down.' But Aaron stupidly and dejectedly sat huddled on the side of the bed, wearing old flannel pajamas of Lily's, rather small for him. He felt too sick to move. "'Lie down, lie down,' said Lily, "'and keep still while I'm gone. I shan't be more than ten minutes.' "'I don't care if I die,' said Aaron. Lily laughed. "'You're a long way from dying,' he said, "'or you wouldn't say it.' But Aaron only looked up at him with queer, far-off, haggard eyes, something like a criminal who is just being executed. "'Lie down,' said Lily, pushing him gently into the bed. "'You won't improve yourself sitting there, anyhow.' Aaron lay down, turned away, and was quite still. Lily quietly left the room on his errand. The doctor did not come until ten o'clock, and worn out with work when he did come. "'Isn't there a lift in this establishment?' he said, as he groped his way up the stone stairs. Lily had heard him and run down to meet him. The doctor poked the thermometer under Aaron's tongue and felt the pulse. Then he asked a few questions, listened to the heart and breathing. "'Yes, it's the flu,' he said curtly. "'Nothing to do but keep warm in bed and not move, and take plenty of milk and liquid nourishment. I'll come round in the morning and give you an injection. Lungs are all right so far.' "'How long shall I have to be in bed?' said Aaron. "'Oh, depends. A week at least.' Aaron watched him sullenly, and hated him. Lily laughed to himself. 
The sick man was like a dog that is ill but which growls from a deep corner, and will bite if you put your hand in. He was in a state of black depression. Lily settled him down for the night, and himself went to bed. Aaron squirmed with heavy, pained limbs the night through, and slept and had bad dreams. Lily got up to give him drinks. The din in the market was terrific before dawn, and Aaron suffered bitterly. In the morning he was worse. The doctor gave him injections against pneumonia. "'You wouldn't like me to wire to your wife?' said Lily. "'No,' said Aaron abruptly. "'You can send me to the hospital. I'm nothing but a piece of carrion.' "'Carrion,' said Lily. "'Why? I know it. I feel like it. Oh, that's only the sort of nauseated feeling you get with flu. I'm only fit to be thrown underground, and made an end of. I can't stand myself.' He had a ghastly grey look of self-repulsion. "'It's the germ that makes you feel like that,' said Lily. "'It poisons the system for a time, but you'll work it off.' At evening he was no better. The fever was still high, yet there were no complications, except that the heart was irregular. "'The one thing I wonder,' said Lily, "'is whether you hadn't better be moved out of the noise of the market. It's fearful for you in the early morning.' "'It makes no difference to me,' said Aaron. The next day he was a little worse, if anything. The doctor knew there was nothing to be done. At evening he gave the patient a calomel pill. It was rather strong, and Aaron had a bad time. His burning, parched, poisoned inside was twisted and torn. Meanwhile carts banged, porters shouted, all the hell of the market went on outside, away down on the cobble-sets. But this time the two men did not hear. "'You'll feel better now,' said Lily, after the operation. End of chapter 9, Part A